0: This is Pitch Tech Asia. We are in the Asia Tech podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Jay Huang. Jay, welcome.
1: Thank you, Thank you for having me here.
0: It's great to have you here. A couple of my favorite subjects, recruiting, HR, AI as well. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna talk about all of that in the context of Pulsify. You're the CEO and co-founder. Yep. We're gonna talk about your journey, how you got there. It's quite an interesting journey, not a straight line, but that's always how it works in (laughs) the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, we have your pitch deck, so we are going to look at the pitch deck as well whilst we go through If you're listening, by the way, just on the audio version, you can grab the uh, the video and the pitch deck from pitchdeck.asia. Um, you'll be able to access all the information about Jay and Pulsify. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's start at the top. Let's talk about why we're here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this problem of people and startups and companies as well, I mean, I find that there's two problems really that – any, I'm not just talking about just startups today I mean organizations mm-hmm. have finding money and finding good people and finding good people is increasingly harder especially mm-hmm. here in Singapore for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. and there's a lot of you know different sort of factors going on you know there's a lot of competition for talent there's a lot of people who um, you know want to work in a specific type of culture which not necessarily you'll find in the corporate yeah. world or the startup world or so on so let's talk about Pulsify. At the top of the billing, Jay, what is the problem that you're solving? Mm,
1: okay. The problem we are solving is most organizations out there aren't able to hire and grow the people that they really need. Right. And we see that as a two-pronged uh, issue. And number one is um, they don't understand enough the people that they are seeing and the people that they have in the organization. mm And the other problem is they actually don't know what they need for the organization. So we are setting up to solve uh, these two parts of that problem. So if I may just elaborate a bit more on that, I think, number one, if you think about understanding people, um, if you asked any employer out there, what would they ideally want in a great employee, they would probably tell you, I want somebody who is a good leader, a good team player, they're motivated to learn, Uh, they've got grit. And the amazing thing is when uh, a lot of employers are sort of screening or identifying candidates right now, they're looking at CVs, Mm. and on the CVs, you don't see any of these things that you're really looking for. So there's a great mismatch between how employers are looking at people but are trying to understand versus what they really need. Mm. So that's problem number one, and how we're solving that is really helping organizations to understand people a lot deeper, uh, a lot more holistic, which we can talk about more later. Um, the other problem is uh, what do they really need right so again a lot of employers um, operate uh, through a gut feel mechanism like okay i think we need a certain sort of skill set to do this and if i just may give an example if for example you were looking to hire a salesperson i think most people would say you know what, we need uh, extroverted people to do sales Mm, right because they need to be outgoing they need to talk Um, but have they exactly looked into the organization to see if the extroverted people did better at sales? Sometimes no, right? Sometimes uh, they could be just as good as anyone else, or sometimes it could even be worse because extroversion may not be the thing that Mm -hmm. drove people to do well at sales. So for example, with some of our clients, we realized that uh, the thing that was important is not so much extroversion, but about this quality of people warmth, which is can I make my client like me, and that that mm. actually drove sales better. So the question is, can you actually figure out what you really need, right, and then match it back to number one? Can you find that quality in those people that you're seeing, so that you can actually identify the right kind of people you want in your team, and then for those people that you already have in your team, how do you grow them into where you want them to be?
0: Right. Okay. So the core of this is you're quantifying the skills and the the personalities and the qualities of people in organizations, right? So this is the challenge, it's not an easy process. I mean, for years and years people have been doing, mm. for example, like, you know, personality tests in organizations and we all know the limitations in that, but you're sort of taking this well beyond that. Mm. We're gonna talk about AI and predictive analytics yep. in this process, yep. right? So maybe we can start at the top and if we jump into your pitch deck, mm-hmm. Jay. At the top, you've got the data there which highlights what the problem is. And for those that are listening, let me read this out. 95% of employers seldom look beyond the CV. That's shocking. It is true. (laughs) Seldom look beyond the CV. I mean, okay, are we talking about a certain type of employer? I mean, as a startup founder, but Mm -hmm. we're in the minority, right? That we always, well, I feel that I always look beyond the CV, but I'm Mm -hmm. in the minority. Most people don't.
1: I think we're talking about um, the first sort of screen of how you figure out whether this is somebody you want to spend more time on. Right. And generally, people have used the CV as that screen, but I guess the for, i mean, the the issue there is they tend to look for things like, uh, you know, what did they do in school, and then what were they doing right before this. Uh, it's difficult to actually figure out things like the qualities that you really need out of there. Um, plus, in many big organizations, they're dealing with uh, rather high volumes of mm. candidates, so sometimes. It's just for a lack of time, um, yeah. bandwidth, and they end up doing that, right? So there's definitely a group of people, employers who would go beyond, um, even do interviews properly, definitely, but um, that's definitely the minority today.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I, I imagine as well is that in many cases, that the people who are tasked with recruiting or employing mm-hmm. within an organization probably feel that they should stick to the script, which is stick to what's in the CV because... If I was to recruit you, Jay, on the basis of like, I think you're a good guy, I wouldn't be able to justify that if anything was to go wrong Mm -hmm. or, you know, I have to justify that to the manager I'm suddenly putting Jay in the team of, right? So it's a risk factor, isn't it? And you know, when you're recruiting, you probably just have a process which they have to follow. And the bigger Mm -hmm. the organization, the bigger the process, right? Mm -hmm. the more complicated. You put in here as well that 86% of employers cannot justify the way they hire. Yes. What's going on there?
1: So, yeah, that's back to the, the first point that you made, which is follow the process. Um, so, for example, I think what's commonly happening is you'll see, okay, I hired this person because he, you know, he did a similar role in another company in our industry. Right. Right. So, assumption is he can probably do something similar for us. And he was trained in a field that was relevant, right? So that's it's very explainable. Um, but uh, if you had five of these people, who would you choose? And then it comes down to the, the feel of it mm. like, okay, this guy feels more right. I think culturally, this guy could feel better, like a better fit. Um, but it's, it's very gut feel, it's difficult to explain why. Um, So what we're trying to do is, like you mentioned, use data to define that, right? Mm. Did it boil down to, for example, him being somebody who's open to new experiences? So it helps with uh, roles that require innovation. Mm. Or was it something about him um, being a very conscientious person, very disciplined, very organized? So it helps with things like seeing through execution. So Mm. we can actually define uh, all the softer side like this and be able to help employers justify why they pick certain people this way. And if you think about them, then the methodology isn't too different from following the old script. You're just having a new script yeah. that moves with the times.
0: Got it. Yeah. The the old script, and we'll, we'll look at how you do it in a minute with the solution. The old script very much is geared towards eliminating risk, isn't it? For example, you mentioned, let's say this guy had done a similar business development role in a similar vertical sector, mm-hmm. and he'd done that for 10 years. It doesn't tell me that he's good at it, it just tells me that he's not bad at it. Because if he survived 10 years, then he surely must have at least, you know, made a few of his targets. It doesn't tell me he can come into my organization and make a difference. It just tells me he's not going to screw up. Mm -hmm. So the whole system is geared towards eliminating failure or risk, Mm -hmm. which not necessarily identifies the right kind of person you want in your organization. You're just going to get very mediocre people at best, right?
1: So, I mean, we we feel that... um anybody in an organization has to f- has a couple of uh, what we call uh, perspectives of fit right so there's a fit to role component mm. which is yes he's done business development that's the fit in the role there's a fit to team and leader which is can he work with the rest of the team well can he work with the leader well and there's a third which is can he fit the organization which is a, a cultural fit So him having done something in another company in the industry does not really say anything about fit to the team or fit to the culture, Mm. right? And they could be actually very big factors as well. Because, I mean, if you go around asking why do people leave their jobs, most of the time it's not because of the job. It's because of the team, the culture, the boss. So those are equally important factors that we, we tend to overlook if we use the old script.
0: Okay. So we have to go a level deeper and unpack the data. So let's have a look at the solution. We jump back into the pitch deck. If we'd have a look at uh, slide five, we've got the sort of the top level of the uh, solution that you have here, which is what you call predictive performance analytics and what you use at Pulsify to Mm -hmm. effectively understand what you just said. What exactly is predictive performance analytics?
1: Okay, so it's actually, but to be honest with you, Graham, we uh, struggled a bit to define the space that we play in. Right. Maybe I can talk a little bit about that since you are here. Please. Um, so generally um, the human resource function has a bit been, been a bit on the catch up in terms of embracing analytics. Right, versus something like sales and marketing, which has been doing it for probably the past 10-15 years. Right, yeah. Very data-driven kind of uh, activities for, for HR to something new. So uh, recently, this concept of people analytics spawned, right? But within people analytics is such a big domain. You can look at how efficient people are, that's people analytics. You can look at um, what the distribution of a workforce is, that's also people analytics. And for us, actually, it's it's, uh, a different kind of analytics. We're focusing on the individual. So I can almost call it person analytics, Mm. right? But whatever. So here, what we're saying is it's predictive um, performance because our main interest is to figure out how much somebody would do well in that role. And it's predictive because uh, we use a lot of models uh, that are not just based on data, but also based on science like organizational psychology right, to predict basically how well could people perform Mm. um, in the role, in the team, in the organization.
0: So you have a few input factors there, which I'm assuming on the the slide in the bottom corner, you've got CV, psychometric assessments, employee performance data, Mm. and social media footprint. So you're taking everything from what they've disclosed on their CV to what they've said on social media. Could you give us an example of how you would actually use that? So it wouldn't be like a Facebook posting that you would measure in some way mm-hmm.
1: yes yeah, so uh, let me let me start with an analogy so if you were a hiring manager or an HR person what information would you have to mm. sort of evaluate somebody so yes there's generally a CV um, some employers may request candidates to take you know, psychometric tests personality tests and generally, I think some employers would also just like look somebody up on LinkedIn or Facebook and see yeah. if, you know, common connections, why are the topics of interest. Um, and then in certain cases, you actually have employees and they have got data. So our approach basically has been how do we deal, how do we help um, organizations to deal with the data that they already have and put it together in one place, hence we call it Unify. Right. So. The challenge we see is many organisations have the data, but they're all over the place. Mm. And if you think about it, for each candidate, you've got, you know, CV, assessments, uh, social media stuff. You form a view of one candidate, great. And then you start doing it for 10, for 100. It, right. You completely cannot falls handle apart. it. falls yeah, yes, apart. Yes, the process. So actually, what we're doing basically is to to make that um, more more feasible, mm. to put it all together. So I wouldn't say we are trying to reinvent any process by taking in new data because, our, I mean, we're not out here to re-engineer the process, but really use the existing data mm. they have, put them together, make sense of it, uh, create profiles out of these people. So on the CV, generally, we're looking for things like uh, competencies, um, experience, for psychometric assessments we touch on. Okay, so maybe just on that. Um, so our intention is to understand the softer side of people. Mm. And one of the ways to do it is through assessments. Right, So if the company has it, we can use that. If not, we can offer ours. And ours is based on science, so it's also it's accepted by most organizations. Uh, the social media one is an interesting topic because researchers have, for the past 10-15 years, uh, been looking at how things like content on social media actually say something about us as people. Yeah. Right, be it uh, interests or, or personality. So we're basically using some of these uh, frontier research to incorporate into our our offering. So for example, based on how somebody expresses themselves, uh, the words that they use, mm. there is a relationship with their personality. So so for example, um, you know people who are very emotional, who exp- uh, display a broad range of emotions, mm. they tend to use a broader range of emotional words in the way they express themselves. So this is just one example, but there. You know, hundred, two hundred of these uh, right. points. it's a good indicator, there. right? Yes, yeah. yes. So, um, um, should we put
0: it to the test? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. We we've kind of like just before we went on there, we hatched a plan. You found somebody out there that we're going to put to the test and see if this makes sense. So, Barrett, if you can do the honors here, we're going to flash up. So, this is data that you get from the Pulsify website, right? So, we're going to look at the Pulsify website. Mm. And here we have an our subject for study, um, a young gentleman called Graham Brown, mm-hmm. just picked randomly. Yep. So obviously you, you've pulled data to some part from my LinkedIn account, right? Yes. What, what I'm interested, I mean, o- that's all sort of obvious. You can get that from LinkedIn, but you've got in here this bit about personality. Yes. Maybe, Can we yeah. have a look at that? Am yep. I going to be surprised what you're going to put up here?
1: <laughs> maybe I should do. Uh, you shouldn't look at it. Maybe I should uh, ask uh, you a,
0: a caveat, please. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
1: So basically, what we're predicting is, um, I think, a few spikes about you. Mm. Um, one of which is particularly noticeable is you are somebody who's very open to experiences, mm. right? And actually, if you if you don't mind, if you scroll down, scroll down. Okay, so in openness to experience, you find that it's made up of things like imagination. Oh, I see, you interest, break it down, right, yeah. Emotionality, adventurousness, blah, blah, blah. So for the gram, for example, somebody who appreciates art, right, mm-hmm. okay, that's actually important for people to be able to uh, embrace new kinds of uh, ways of doing things. Um, you are adventurous, mm-hmm. right, and then also intellectual in the sense that you like to engage in philosophical topics. And liberal, right, open-minded, mm. Um, the part that is relatively uh, less, uh, I would say, developed would be your emotionality. In the say, ten- say
0: it, call it as it is. So <laughs> so where are my weak points there?
1: I will not call it a weak point. It's just that um, <laughs> you tend to be more in control of yourself versus having a broad right. range of emotional experiences
0: yeah yeah and agreeableness does that mean I'm agreeable or I agree with other people
1: yeah so that one I should clarify uh, psychologists call it agreeableness but actually it's not related to being agreeable oh. it's really a measure of somebody's uh, warmth as a person
0: I should be more it says here Graham yeah. should be more modest <laughs> yeah so
1: yes uh, um, I think okay so I think what we had analyzed here are also some of your posts on LinkedIn yeah 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 maybe you were very authoritative in some of them yeah so that's, maybe that's reading that came interesting out that's
0: fascinating um yeah. i i wonder as well if that you know there's always uh, you know put it as put it in its place there's a danger here isn't it like with horoscopes it's like you you read you know for example if i said about you i could just make something up and yep. you'd say oh that's that's me that's exactly how i feel hmm. so h- how do you sort of avoid that that actually it's actionable, rather than you know, if you sat here and go, you know, like Graham's like a, a natural leader, and you know, he, all these kind of things. Any anybody you sat with would probably say, yeah, that's me, yep. or you know, maybe they find challenges in their life, or mm. you know, Mm-mm. everybody can agree to certain things. How how can you get that specificity yes. that it actually is that person yeah. rather than just a generic horoscope style yeah. analysis? Yes. Okay, so whether or not horoscopes are accurate,
1: there's another topic for conversation. <laughs> so let's not get there. Um, but actually, to address, uh, to answer your question, actually there are three ways of looking at it. So um, number one, a lot of uh, our predictions are actually based on, on psychology. So hmm. researchers have actually, you know, used thousands of people to analyse. Um, so safe to say there's a certain uh, rigour there in terms of trying to predict things from data points about people. So that's one of our bases. The second is uh, we actually also have a base of people who have taken our psychometric assessments. So, in a sense, we know the right answer from the assessments. Right, you right? have the patterns uh, already, right? Yes, so we already know, for example, the people who display a certain trait, um, what kind of uh, data points tend to mm. describe that. And the third one also is we collect feedback from users. So, for example, if we tell a potential employer that this candidate you know has a certain trait, um, the employer gets to provide feedback to say yeah is it true or no not really mm. so that also trains the algorithm mm. yep.
0: how, how do I use that as an employer then because if yes. I was to look at my own data you know how do I lo- use the fact that you know maybe my weak point is emotionality and my strength is yes uh, I can't remember adventurousness yes. that could be taken either way I mean adventurousness mm. could be for example, he doesn't turn up at the office on a Friday. He's off on an adventure somewhere. (laughs) So how how does that inform me as an employer? Because what's on the CV is a lot easier to identify, you know, in terms of black or white, what this means in terms of their behavior. However, when you start throwing out these personality traits, it could go either way. Yes, yes.
1: So if you remember when we started the conversation today, we spoke about problem one, about understanding people. Mm. So that's what we just saw. Problem two was understanding what the organizations need. So that is also very critical, which is, number one, does adventurousness matter for the role that you're looking at, right? right. And it may not, right? Um, or it may. So how we establish that is, again, we we do use uh, organizational psychology as the basis. We also use um, the organizations existing employees as a benchmark Mm. so for example if we're hiring for that business development role there have been no 100 people have done that role over the past five years right we can actually say you know the people who didn't do better they are adventurous so you that's a plus yeah right um or it may not matter and then we say that yeah no big deal he's not adventurous but it doesn't matter to the role so we use uh the organization's own data to explain to them um, basically what you should be looking for.
0: Right. Yeah. And the key here is, uh, is that you're eliminating bias, aren't you? And the bias, like you mentioned before, a great example is sales. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an image, and I've done sales and I've recruited sales, that a sales person should look like this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the the classic, what you see selling a used car st- type sales person <laughs> or yep. a, an estate agent, for example, right? Yep. You know, however... We don't know if actually is that's the case. And that's a bias that people go into. If you, know, if you come to me in an interview, Jay, and said you were looking for a business development manager role, and I'd look at you and think, well, you know, he doesn't look like a, a sales guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he has these certain traits. But you're saying, for example, if you were to look at your history in the organization, maybe you find, for example, that the salespeople who are most successful were a bit more introverted, a bit more process-driven, and a bit more sort of gentler mm-hmm. in their sales process. Yeah depending on the type of product and the culture of the the sales organization. Yes, correct. So that that bias is key, isn't it? Because I mean, that's a huge factor in recruitment and making the wrong decision.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think the idea is to be able to use data to justify why you hire, which is, I think, one of those things that are missing sometimes. Um, But maybe I can add on something interesting here is while we can benchmark against existing people, we can also help organizations to transform. If they want to know that they want to get people from, you know, a to B, mm. we can actually figure out, right? Most of the people right now are kind of A prime, and then this is the kind of B that we want to get to, and then we can, can actually help to provide that basis.
0: Got it. Yes. Okay. So we'll have a look at a, a case study here with Nestle. Okay. As yes. an example. And just before we do this, d- can this work for a small company, like a startup?
1: Yes. So uh, we don't have that, yes, that yes, history, yes. right? So, so then the data would be more generic right. uh, based on a broader set of companies. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: Okay, we can talk about potential long-term in other markets as well. Let's start with Nestle, because yes. again, you know Nestle, like any um, employer, would uh, have the challenges of just a huge organization mm-hmm. and, and many different sort of departments and multinational, You know, and their recruitment process must be a long recruitment process and have many stages because they just want to eliminate risk at every stage, right? So how did you work with Nestle? How did you come in where did you start because you couldn't have like reinvented the whole recruitment process you must have had to just take a small part of it as to prove a case in point just yes. tell us a little bit about that
1: yes um so let's start from the beginning i think um basic okay fortunately uh some of our team members uh, knew uh, the nestle people mm. right from their time in the industry and it's been perceived as a good employer and um one one challenge that they do face is at the at the fresh graduate level uh, such as for management trainee roles mm. they tend to be a lot of applicants that express interest they, they apply um Okay, I wouldn't say there's a challenge. I'm sorry to take that back. It's not a challenge. It's a good thing. The challenge is how do you figure out how to, right. who well, you want. Well, that is a challenge. Whatever. It's noise, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's noise. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's say it as a, it is. A, yeah, it's a, noise.
0: A, <laughs> I'll say it for you. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, yeah. yeah. So so in the past, what they've done is they actually screen uh, those, for example, 3,000 people who apply for management training positions mm. uh, manually, right? So, yes, like what we spoke about looking at CVs. Trying to find interesting candidates, and then for those that are interesting, give them a call. All right, you spend twenty minutes talk, twenty to thirty minutes talking to each one of them, and then after a while, you're gonna start remembering how do they stack against each other, mm. and figure out okay, who are the final people that wanna interview to to greater depth, and but because it's so much manual work involved, it's also sometimes you need to outsource some part of the work to a third party. Um, But the thing is, the more people do that screening, the less it is, the the more difficult it is to ensure consistency. Because depending on who screens, people would pass for different reasons. Mm. As much as you want to have a consistent rubric for it. So I think uh, one sentiment is, um, the consistency is challenging to maintain. And I think the other part is very interesting is, um, being able to justify why people were hired. right? Um, So I think back to what Mm. we discussed before, So when we came in to say, hey, let's try this, right? Uh, We can propose a more data-driven solution, um, uh, technology-driven. So not only will you save a lot of man hours, right, which would come with it, but we can also look at improving the quality Hmm. because we can understand each person better and we can also figure out um, how to select the people that you actually need, right? So we put this, uh, I mean, the, the applicants were were well, fortunately very cooperative to be able to wanna go through our process. So we we did put them through various psychometric assessments. Uh, it may sound daunting, but actually it takes like fifteen minutes, right? Mm. So it's not, <laughs> not that bad. Um, but for some of these roles, sometimes there are also things like reasoning assessments, like uh, cognitive ability reasoning, mm. you know, verbal, numeric reasoning, that could take longer. But for some roles, those are quite important to to measure your thinking. Um, so we collected a whole bunch of data on these people. Concurrently, we did a benchmark on existing um, employees to figure out what are the things that are really important. Mm. So all of this whole exercise, uh, we helped them to whittle it down to a final 200 or so. Right. Right, from 3,000 to 200. And then from there, they conducted their own uh, in-person activities as well.
0: So when uh, you compare it to how it was traditionally done, you mentioned one of the problems, I think, not just of Nestle, but of any large organization, is they have to outsource. So you have many, many different steps and many, many different people. And you're sort of, the more steps you have in the process, the less likely you have somebody who can create a more generic overview of, you know, I like this person, the data's good, the tests are good, and so on. So it's all sort of outsourced and everybody's kind of like Mm -hmm. doing their little box-filling exercise. When you do it your way, how sort of much can you compress that? recruitment process into less steps?
1: Uh, yes. So we actually if you look at the next slide, we touched on the man hour savings. Mm. Um, so it's se- 70% of the benchmark. Right. Actually it was 70 to 80%. Three um, weeks
0: to three days you've got here.
1: Yes. That is the the time taken to notify oh, the candidate. Between stages. Yes. Wow. And that's
0: where that's where you lose a lot of candidates. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. So it's it's one of those intangible things, but it's very important yeah. because you don't want a candidates to wait. So you can actually shrink that down, plus you can reduce man hours. So um, one one big thing that we did um, that's different was basically bringing a lot of the in-person activities online, hmm. right? So things like uh, testing, it can be done in the candidate's own time. Um, we also, uh, rather than do phone screening, we also proposed uh, video interviews yeah. through our partner company. And basically for a video interview, the candidate can choose when they want to do it, hmm. right? So you also eliminate the need to schedule on both sides and of course not just the, the time to schedule but also the time to execute whatever you are scheduling right so that's uh those are the things that we saved as well so yeah to answer your question uh, we compress a lot of the manual components into an online mm. component and then those are the reduction in man hours but I think the real value that comes out of here is can we show that we did a better job in helping you to find the people that you need mm. and in this case we were able to Um, show there's actually improvement in quality because we were able to answer what are the traits you actually need and we can show you that everybody who we select for you has what you need versus in the past, it might have been 50% Mm. because you didn't really know that.
0: Okay, this is also important when now, I mean, these days increasingly large organizations want to recruit talent and they're in a competitive marketplace with the Grabs and the Facebooks and the Googles of this world. And they don't necessarily have the the sort of huge projects which they feel they could go and fulfill in a place like Google. And they have to move fast. And the the, the problem is, is, I mean, if they're taking three weeks before, you know, you can actually notify them of the next stage, Mm -hmm. you lose that talent. And when we're talking about that level of talent, you know, people who can move around, who can choose jobs, who can, you know, who, who know that they're a marketable commodity out there is that they they have to move fast. So to get it down to three days is a key composite of making a successful, you know, for those large organizations mm. to bring in talented people, yes, right? Because they just can't compete in that market against those big brand names in yes. tech, for example.
1: Yes, yeah, right, yeah, right. Okay, um,
0: and just before, I'm, I'm conscious of the time ourselves is that I'm a data guy. (laughs) So any sort of chart that fires up on a a pitch deck, it gets attention here. (laughs) Okay. I want to know what this says. So, for example, if if you're listening on the audio, then you can see this um, just basically on the video. But just to basically explain what this is, it's a comparison of an XY plot on the left-hand side Predicted personality trait very very similar to assessed trait on the right hand side performance predictable from trait the statistical significance. What does it mean? Explain <laughs> okay. to us.
1: Yes yes yes. So if on the left chart basically we are trying to because you asked me right how how um, spot on do we get when we mm-hmm. try and predict somebody's personality right? So I think that is one uh, chart we show that um, with enough data the R-square for that can get very close to 1, right? So the idea is, um, based on data that we can le- collect, actually the chance of um, us predicting the trade value that's going to be similar to what you would have gotten through the assessment is really right. high, right? So um, I think that's a proof that um, with enough data, we can make uh, good predictions. Mm. But of course, the, the caveat there is you need enough data. And yes, we may not be that case all the time. So for example, some people do not have online presence. Right. Um they write very little in the C V and then how do you try and assess these guys? Yeah, you might have to fall back to an assessment, you might have to fall back to interviews. Um so for the chart on the second, which is okay, if you guys can predict personality well, um, what do I do with that personality? So the question becomes can are uh, can we identify traits, uh, not just personality, but anything else that actually predicts performance. Mm. So the work we did in this uh, case study was actually a fintech company. And in this company, actually, yeah, this is not a very big company. I think they've got uh, 30, 40 people at that point in time. Um, but the important thing is everybody in this company, regardless of role, they were looking for a few common uh, traits, which is they wanted people who are innovative. They wanted people who were good uh, team players and communicators. Um, But it's very difficult to figure these two out um, from testing or from interviews, right? So what we helped them to do was to um, run the analysis, and we figured out that certain personality traits predict these qualities very well. So, for example, uh, innovativeness in this company, it was very strongly predicted by somebody being open to new experiences. Mm. And the good uh, team players and communicators were strongly predicted by that trait of agreeableness that we Mm. discussed before. So while it's difficult to assess innovativeness quickly, you can actually assess the personality trait quite well. Mm. And then that could increase the odds of you finding somebody who has the traits that you want.
0: Yeah, that's that's the, the key, isn't it? Because even myself as a recruiter in a small company is that I have my own biases. And you say innovativeness as an example. I want everybody to be innovative. How do you measure that? Well, Mm. when they come to interview, they say all the right things. Uh, They know, I mean, they can buy the books where they can practice the questions and so on. That bit where you can go outside of the CV and look at, for example, social media and what people are posting out there, as an example, is very interesting because that isn't done for the purpose of recruitment. That's sort Mm. of them in their real world every day. That's the the real them rather than the recruitment them, right? And you're saying that based on what you've analyzed there you can, with a certain degree of accuracy, trace that to performance in certain organizations that are, you need innovativeness. So. Yes, correct. It's, it's,
1: it's actually a two-step process. I think number one is you we, we define a person based on a number of traits, I think mean, uh, close to 40 of them, um, based on all these data that we gather about them. And just now I mentioned something about video interviews, it's also possible to analyze videos to right. get science out of it as well. So... Uh, whatever means we, we build these profiles of people, then the second step becomes um, understanding which of these traits actually matter for that role, right? So mm. in this case, uh, because this this particular company we just discussed, they've got enough data in terms of, uh, you know, 360 feedback from, from peers and all that. So it's really rich information on how innovative people actually are, mm. right? Because not just the boss, but other people think so as well. So um, that really helped us to build the models.
0: Okay, fantastic. Yep. And just finishing up, I want to ask you about uh, your current fundraising. Are you raising funds at the moment? Um, didn't you say before that people are always raising funds? Exactly. <laughs> well, I have to ask because I have to ask because yes. it's endless, right? Yes. they're always um, recruiting. They're always raising funds, right. right? So where, where are you with your fundraising?
1: Um, so actually, uh, I think it was a month ago we've announced that we raised an angel round. Yeah. Um, It came up to about 1.1 million US. Um, It was done actually over multiple tranches since last year. So the total amount came out to be 1.1. Most of the money we've actually used to build the product. Um, I think you may have guessed it's quite difficult to build what we're trying to build. And uh, so we (laughs) actually had to invest a fair bit there, building the team uh, to develop that. And that money was also for us to show that we can actually deliver value to real clients on that. Mm. So I think we've been quite happy with what we've achieved. Um, and I think that uh, what we plan to do in the coming couple of months to a year is to scale that model to build more applicability. And definitely then as part of the process to scale, we will need to raise more money yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. So have you thought about when the round starts? Is it to be confirmed? Or mm, I think we're looking at something towards the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and um, that would be a Series A?
1: Uh, those, those are semantics. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're looking at a couple of million dollars. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: and yes. what would that be for? Would that to be fund, I mean, because you've sort of explored the market already. Would yes. that be to fund development in Singapore? Or would that also to be to fund, you know, new markets?
1: Yes. So, actually, a big part of why we're doing what we're doing is because... Um, um we feel that this is a global opportunity Mm. Um, most companies face some sort of challenge like this and we feel that the market is really global so a big part of our expansion plan is also to explore markets that are far further away from here right so things like australia europe the us Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we're targeting as well um definitely to expand into all these markets takes a lot of money we can't do that so I think we're using a mix of um, partners as well as our own teams to explore some of these markets further away.
0: Yeah. So talking about partners, what kind of partners are you looking for? Who would be sort of prime for what fits with what you want to do? Yes.
1: So that part is actually pretty broad. Um, Currently, our partners include um, technology companies like SAP Mm. um, because they've uh, provided systems to a lot of companies out there. So ours is sort of like a platform that sits on top. There's some distribution channel there. We've also got partners in the form of um, our recruitment agencies, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're providing service. I think we can supplement or uh, complement that with uh, data, with technology. Uh, we've also got some partners who are more consultants. I think they're coming in to, for example, help clients improve their proposition to potential joiners. Mm-hmm. And then part of that process becomes, okay, how do we identify who to target, what kind of people we need, and then you know we sit in there as well. They're also partners who are like resellers. I mm. think what they do is to help clients to buy technology that solves their problems. So that's a channel
0: as well. Excellent. <laughs> Jay, yeah. it's been a privilege sitting with mm-hmm. you today. What is the best way people can get hold of you? What's your preferred channel?
1: Uh, LinkedIn. Yes. LinkedIn. Okay, yes. all the
0: details in the show notes. So if people want to reach mm-hmm. out to Jay, whether they want to work with Jay, work for Jay, or help in the future fundraise, help expand. business Mm -hmm. it's jay huang everybody ceo and co-founder of pulsify thanks so much for coming for the show today been a real privilege and wish you all the best with the ongoing growth of pulsify
1: thank you very much and
0: build that the biggest data set in the world so we can really kind of analyze people and work out you know what their advantages and the benefits of these organizations yes
1: absolutely absolutely
0: actually if i may just add one last thing go for it um
1: While we are solving a problem from an organizational perspective, I think our bigger vision is to help everybody out there figure out what they should be doing with their lives at work, right? Um, But we've chosen to solve it from the perspective of the the, the job opportunity Mm. because that's where it tangibly happens. But I think ultimately we do want to benefit everybody out there to basically answer that question. Yeah,
0: I like it. Put a dent in the universe. Yes. Exactly. So anybody who's interested in that, you put the call out who thinks of this in terms of the bigger picture. Make make contact with Jay. Mm -hmm. So Jay, thanks a lot today. Thank you very much.